0: Kids, I've got some things on a stand here. And I have a question for you. Are these things the same? Are these the same? They look similar. They're not exactly the same, they're different sizes, different shapes, different colors. Different bindings, different things holding them together. So they all look a little bit different, and they might even, if you open them up inside and you uh, read them, they might all sound a little bit different in the way that they say things. These are Bibles that we have that we uh, have on the entry table that you're welcome to take and give to a friend, or if you don't have a Bible or you forgot one, you're welcome to grab these and keep these. Those are yours. We're happy for you to have them. This is one of my kids' Bibles. A little blue one. This is one that I got when I was in seminary. Just for fun. This one is in Spanish. All of them are a little bit different, but all of them have the same message inside. They all say, essentially, the same things inside. And so... uh, They are all in that way the same, because they all say the same thing about who God is and who we are and how we should relate to God. And we're going to look today at some sermons in the book of Acts. We're going to do a survey of the sermons of the book of Acts, not all of the sermons because there are a lot of them, but even though all of the sermons are very different, they all share one message. That Jesus died, that he rose again from the dead, and that when you believe in him, you can be saved. They all share that same message, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we're here on Sundays. That's why we worship on Sundays, because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate Easter as the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so let's look. I want to highlight... um, I want to highlight three sermons in the book of Acts. Two of them we're just going to read through, and then the third one we're going to focus on. And I want you to see how different these are, okay? That the one message is to uh, Jews, those who are God's chosen people, those who uh, knew that their ancestors followed God and had been treated specially by God. And so Paul speaks to them, In Antioch, in a very special way, he talks with them as people who knew the Old Testament and all of the things that God had done for their forefathers. And here's here's what he says in Acts chapter 13. You can just listen to this. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. They said, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. And so Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking, and this is what he said, men of Israel and you God-fearing Jew, uh, Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for forty years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel, Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think that I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he is coming soon, and I am not worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, You sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and the leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. And instead they condemned him. And in doing this they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. And when they had done all the prophecies about him had said, They took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise that was made to our ancestors. And God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He had said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and he was buried with his ancestors, and his body has decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. This was Paul's message to these Jewish people, these people who had known the Scriptures, and he just repeats for them the history that they knew so well. He talked with them about their kings, and he talked with them about the prophets and what the prophets had said, and he he laid it all out for them, and then he says, but that Messiah, that descendant of David that you were expecting, that was Jesus, and he was crucified to fulfill what the prophets said, and then he rose again from the dead so that you can um, be saved from your sins. And there were some that were there that day that heard that message that believed, And there were some that day that rejected it. Now here's another sermon. Paul, again, this time in Acts 17, this time talking to Gentile people. People who had no idea about the Old Testament. They didn't know about the ancestors of the Jews. They didn't know about God's treating uh, of Israel. They didn't know about any of those things. And so this is how Paul speaks to them. Listen to this. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are a very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars has this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one that I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we should not think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from silver or stone or gold or something invented. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some of them laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Notice, it sounds totally different. He didn't talk about David. He didn't talk about Abraham. He didn't talk about the nation of Israel. He instead went to, God is the creator of the world. And you need to relate to him as the creator of the world. You need to relate to him as the creator of the world. Okay. Now, we're going to look at one more sermon. This one, I think, is the most simple, straightforward sermon in the book of Acts, and that's why I chose it for this morning. In this one, Cornelius, a Gentile a prominent Gentile, has come to Peter and said, Peter, I want to follow God, and I want to know how to follow God. What do I need to know to be accepted by God? And this is the message that Peter gives to him. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name cornelius had come and he had said peter what what do we have to know what do we have to know I I want to follow God. I want to serve God. What do I need to know? If someone were to come to you and say, hey, I want to be a Christian. What do I need to know? Where would you start? Where would you begin? What would you say? If somebody said, okay, you have five minutes. Convince me that I should become a Christian where would you start? What would you say? Some people might say, well, you know, um, when you're a Christian, things are so much better. You're having trouble with your marriage, what you should do is become a Christian because God can help you with your marriage. You're having trouble with your kids, you should become a Christian because God will help you with your kids. You're you're having trouble with your finances, you should become a Christian because God can help you with your finances. See, a, a lot of times when we're trying to convince somebody that they should become a Christian, we start with them, and what do they feel like they need? What do they think that they need? Where are they broken, and how can God heal that? And you know, sometimes God does those things, but nowhere in any of the sermons of Acts do the preachers stand up and say, you know what, if you want to live your best life now, you should become a Christian. It's not there. It's not about that. Instead, what they say is, Jesus died and rose again from the dead. That's a bold claim. That's a bold claim. When Paul stood up and he said that to the people of Athens, he's going along, he's talking about a god, a god, some god that they aren't familiar with. You know that unknown god that you're not yet familiar with? Yeah, okay, we'd like to know more about this. We have lots of gods. We'd like to know about another one. Well, this god is the creator god, the one that made everything. Interesting. He's the judge of the earth. And there is a judge that he has appointed who died and rose again from the dead. And they all went, oh, (laughs) that's funny. That's funny because you know what doesn't happen? People don't rise from the dead. It's the most ridiculous claim of Christianity that Jesus rose from the dead, which is why it's the most central to what we believe. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins to pay the punishment for our death, but he demonstrated that he has power over sin and death by rising again from the dead. That's how we know. That's how you had a group of disciples who, when Jesus was arrested, ran and hid. And after he was crucified, hid in secret, met in secret. But then, a few days later, boldly went out and proclaimed everywhere that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior of the world what happened in between? They saw the risen Lord. They saw Jesus raised from the dead, and it changed everything. And they said, what you need to know is that Jesus, the one that they crucified, you remember that they crucified him a little bit ago? It made a big stir in all of Jerusalem. He rose from the dead. What are you going to do with that? So when Peter opens his mouth and begins to talk to Cornelius, what he says is, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God is is impartial. You see, that was a big step for Peter. Peter who thought God's people, the Jewish people, were his chosen ones by nature of their birth and descendancy. And what he's beginning to realize in this conversation with Cornelius, as Cornelius is asking him about what it means to follow God and how he might follow God. What Peter is beginning to realize is that God takes people from every nation. God's not looking at where you're from. God's not listening to your accent or looking at your skin color or your uh, personality or anything like that. Instead, God is just claiming some from every tribe and every tongue and every nation as his own. And so Peter says, I, I'm, you know, this is really weird for me because I'm a Jew and I, I wouldn't normally be sharing this message with somebody who's not a Jew But what I'm beginning to realize is that God doesn't show partiality. And so here's what you need to know. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Here's what you need to know. If you want to be reconciled with God, if you want to follow God appropriately, what you need to know is that Jesus is the peace. Jesus Jesus is the one who is Lord of all, and he provides you peace with God. He says, "You, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. You know how John was out in the wilderness proclaiming repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? How Jesus went and was baptized by him and the Holy Spirit came and alighted on him as a dove, anointed him? That was the beginning of this. How God, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That was the first indication that we had that Jesus was someone different, that Jesus was someone special, that here this prophet, John, was preaching and proclaiming, somebody is coming, someone is coming. He's coming. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, prepare your hearts, prepare, because somebody is coming, someone whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, someone who's far greater than me is coming. God's chosen one. And then when Jesus came, the Holy Spirit anointed him, and God appointed him. He appointed him. And from that time on, we saw he went out and about, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. You may have heard the stories of all the things that Jesus did. All these people who were oppressed, some who were demon-possessed and thrashing about and had lost control of their bodies because the, the, the uh, demons were possessing them, and Jesus removed the demons, cast them out. You've heard about the people who were lame and couldn't walk, and Jesus came along and he healed them so that they could walk. You've heard about the people who were blind and could not see, and Jesus came and He touched them and He opened their eyes so that they could see. The ones who were deaf, that He opened their ears so that they could hear. Those who had every kind of sickness and infirmity, God, uh, Jesus came and He strengthened them and He healed them and demonstrated that the power of God was within Him in a way that it was in no one else. He was unique. There has never been and will never be anyone again like Him. And when He taught, when He opened up the Scriptures, we understood them in a way that we had never understood them before. He spoke as one who understood and had authority. Like He knew these Scriptures. Not like... You know, here's what I think. But as one with conviction who knew this is what God has to say to his people, and he explained things to us that we had been confused about and that hadn't made sense before, that suddenly all made sense because Jesus had explained it to us. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. It was so weird. All the stuff that he was doing was so weird. He was so awesome compared to everybody else that I gave my life to following him for three years. And I wasn't the only one. There were 12 of us that were close to him. There were 70 that were really following him, but there were hundreds of people who were following Jesus, wanting to know what he was talking about, wanting to know what he was saying, wanting to see what he could do and would do, because we were convinced that he was the one that God had sent. He was the appointed one of God that had come to restore things to their proper order We are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. We were witnesses. We were witnesses to all that he had said and done. We were so impressed. We followed him. We were convinced that he was going to turn the world upside down and we couldn't wait to watch it happen. And they took him. And they hung him on a cross. And he died. As Jesus' disciples, as his followers, to watch his ministry grow and his influence grow and the power of God within him, and then to see... Over the matter of a week, how people turned on him and accused him, and he was wrongly convicted, and he was hung on the tree, and he was dead. What do you do with that? And they mourned. They mourned the loss of a friend. They mourned the loss of a teacher, a mentor. They mourned the loss of their hope that he was going to restore all things. Verse 40. But God raised him on the third day and made made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, we who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. After all that, he rose from the dead. You can go back and read in the Gospels the stories of them discovering that Jesus rose from the dead. Their initial unbelief. You know, when you have had your heart set on something and then you have found disappointment, how then when somebody revives that hope, you, you have trouble believing again? No, I, I, I already believed in that. I already trusted that, and it let me down. I'm, I'm going to be guarded. I'm not going to believe this time. I can't stand the disappointment twice. But God raised him from the dead. And so, all of those things that we believed about Jesus, all of those things that we thought would happen, even though our hopes for a moment were crushed, were revived, and we realized it was even greater than we had thought. Nothing could stop this man. Not the leaders, not the Romans. Not adversity, not death, not the grave, nothing could stop this guy. He has been empowered by God to do something that is unique in all the world. And we are his witnesses. We watched this happen and he ate and drank with us and explained to us all that had happened and all that was going to happen and he opened our eyes to see and understand that, yes, he was coming as a king in a kingdom, but it's a different kind of a kingdom than we had understood before. And he commanded us, verse 22, uh, verse 42, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. Jesus is the judge. This is the same thing that Paul told uh, the, the men of Athens. Jesus is appointed to be the judge. It's demonstrated that he's the judge by his resurrection from the dead. That's how we know. That's how it's confirmed. Jesus is the judge. What are you going to do with that? Because we have a problem. We may not think that we have a problem. We don't always know that we have a problem, but ignorance is, is no uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. There are people who say, well, I, I didn't really know. It was an honest mistake. If I was... Uh, walking through the mall and somebody asked me, hey, do you want a donut? And I said, yeah. And I grabbed the donut and I started eating it. No, 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 no. Um, Those aren't samples. I meant, do you want to buy a donut? Uh, No. It it was an honest mistake. Do I still owe for that donut? Yeah. Yeah. There are people that that just don't realize that God is the creator of the world. They haven't paid attention to that. They haven't acknowledged that. My mistake. We might think, well, you know, it was a, an innocent mistake, and I don't usually do that kind of thing. I don't go around stealing donuts and pastries. I'm not that kind of a person. I'm not a bad person. I just made a mistake. God is the creator of the world. He created everything. He sustains life by his hand. And we have not acknowledged him as God. We have not honored Him as God in the way that we act and the way that we behave. Everything that we do in some way demonstrates what we think of God. Do we worship Him, honor Him, acknowledge Him as God? How do we treat His creation How do we treat his creatures? Do we treat them as special things that God has created? How do we treat our fellow humans, those who were created in God's likeness, to be like him, to be image bearers, to demonstrate to others who God is and what he is like, how do we treat them? How do we refer to them? How do we talk to them? You see, we may think that it was just a mistake or a moment of weakness or something that we did and our only slight was to the one other person that maybe we don't know that well or maybe we know them well enough that they'll let it slide because we have relationship with them. But do we recognize that everything that we do, how we treat someone else, either acknowledges or does not acknowledge that God is the creator And that they are created in his image. Everything we do. We don't get to plead ignorance. Sorry. Wasn't aware. You walk in and you step on somebody's foot. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. You broke my toe. But I didn't mean to. It wasn't on purpose. The, the damage that we inflict when we wrong God Either by not honoring Him, by not holding His name to be holy, by not uh, designating time aside to worship Him, honoring His day as holy, by not treating His name, His personhood as holy, by not treating His creation as holy, by not treating other people as those who are created in His image. All of these things are affronts to God And they are sin. And all of them deserve judgment. And what God has demonstrated for us by raising Jesus from the dead is that Jesus is the judge. And He's going to judge everyone. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. I think that covers everybody. Those of you who are alive and those of you who are dead, Jesus is your judge, just so you know. That means that we have to deal with Jesus. Every single person that has ever lived has to deal with Jesus. Every single person that has ever lived has to deal with the resurrection of Jesus. What do you think about the resurrection of Jesus? Nothing else matters. Just that. What do you think about the death and resurrection of Jesus? I don't believe it. That has nothing to do with me. I don't want Jesus. I don't think that's who he was. Or I acknowledge that Jesus' death and resurrection demonstrates that God has anointed him as judge. Those are your choices. Everybody has to deal with Jesus. You can't ignore it. And this is why, this is why there's so much division, right? People will say, well, how come you can't uh, just get along with the Mormons? Why, why can't you just get along with the Latter-day Saints? Why why can't you get along with the Mormons? Why can't you get along with the Jews? I I can get along with them, but we fundamentally disagree about everything because we fundamentally disagree about who Jesus is and what the resurrection means. We cannot worship together. We're not worshiping the same God because we don't believe the same thing about who Jesus is. They don't believe that he was God. Some don't believe that he was raised from the dead. Some don't believe that he's the only way by which we may be saved. We have to deal with the resurrection of Jesus. To him, he says, All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. If we had stopped at the point where Jesus, being resurrected from the dead, demonstrates that he is the judge of the living and the dead, and we just stopped there, there is no good news. There is no gospel. It's only bad news. Hey, guess what? You're a sinner who has not perfectly acknowledged God in all that you say and do. You have not honored and worshiped Him appropriately. And there is a judge whose name is Jesus. Congratulations. Welcome to hell. That would be the whole message, right? You have have a Jesus who is the judge, and that's it, and we stand condemned. But that Jesus who's the judge in his death takes our place. So that all of those sins, all of those affronts to God that deserve death, that punishment for our sin, the consequences of our sin is death. And Jesus says, oh, I already did that. And if you'd like, I'll take your place. I would like, please. Yes, please. Would you take my place? You see, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, but he says, but for everyone who believes in me, I will provide salvation for sins. All of your affronts, whether you stepped on my toe, whether you slapped me in the face, whether you called me a bad name, whether you treated my people inappropriately, if you believe in me, I will take the consequences of all of your sins on myself. I will deal with those, and I will judge you as though you had not done them. Because I didn't do them. I will judge you as I deserve and judge me as you deserve. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus paid the price so that we don't have to. Everyone has to deal with Jesus. Everyone has to deal with Jesus' death and resurrection when Paul was talking to the men of Athens and he was saying, look, this is who Jesus is. He's the judge. And that was demonstrated by his death and resurrection. You have three options. You can laugh and go, huh? nope. Don't believe that. You can do like some of them said, we would like to hear you more on this. I would like to know more about, I would like to seek more understanding about this. Or you can believe and say, yes, I believe and I want Jesus to be my Savior too. Which brings us right back to where we began this service. Because where we began this service was at communion, where we read together in Romans chapter 10 that the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, I hope that you are rejoicing along with me as we celebrate that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he is the judge of the living and the dead, and for those of us who believe, he is our Savior. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have sent Jesus, appointed him as judge. Thank you that you have appointed a just judge, one who is discerning and true one who sees through the exterior and can judge the intentions and attitudes of the heart. Thank you. Thank you that with all the sin in the world, we can trust that it will be judged appropriately. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus is not only our judge, but also our Savior. That when we confess and believe, we are forgiven of our sins. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we are sinners in need of repentance and forgiveness. And so we confess our sins before you and ask, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us not because in the most part we're good? Would you forgive us not because of anything that we intend to do or have done? But would you forgive us because Jesus has already done it? and has offered freely the gift of salvation. Lord, we accept that gift today. In Jesus' name, amen.